So DLF has asked the DLF podcast to do a live read. I don't I don't do this. <laughs> I don't sell advertising space. I don't try and sell anything. But DLF is my home. It is my family. So I'm going to do them a solid here. Instead of putting the uh, other podcasts from DLF ad up at the top of uh, Dynasty Crossroads, uh, I'm just going to do this here live read. Um, again, not getting paid to do it. I just think DLF's awesome. they got an awesome thing going on. And they asked, and I agree with it, so why not? Uh, let me see here. i got to pull it up. You can tell I'm real professional about this. All right, uh, so DLF would like you to know that if you are... God, can't do this properly, can I? Tired of the same old Dynasty format? Think you have what it takes to be a real champion? DLF has partnered with Safe Leagues and Commish Extraordinaire Scott Fish... Hey, Scott. ...to create a brand new DLF Champions Cup Series. That's DLF Champions Cup Series, just in case I stumbled that. In the DLF Champions Cup Series, you're matched up in a Superflex tight end premium with points and payouts awarded each year. Nice. The bonus is that every third year, you, your cumulative points go up against a larger field to see who wins the Champions Cup. That's a neat idea. Claim a team today and begin your journey to hoist the Champions Cup and claim $1,000. Wow, cool. Uh, that's the grand prize. Come prove it, I guess, is what they're saying. It seems like a pretty cool competition. Uh, DLF's running it along with Scott Fish. Actually seems like a lot of fun. So if you're interested in that, please hit up DLF Scott Fish or the DLF Champions Cup Series. Uh, you can find it on DynastyLeagueFootball.com backslash safe leagues. Thanks very much. Let's, let's do a podcast now or something, right? This class is some sort of unholy merger, no matter which position you look at. The running back position of 2017, from which we've already had seven running backs have top 12 seasons through the first four rounds. And 2008, which had six running backs hit a top 12 season through the first four rounds. This 2020 running back class averaged, all running backs drafted in the first four rounds, averaged a 10-point pre-draft score in my pre-draft model. It averaged a 10-point post-draft score in my post-draft model through the first four rounds. Now, there are decimals there, but who gives a crap? The last time that happened was 2008. The last time any running back class averaged a over 10 points in their pre-draft score, so how productive they looked before the draft, was 2017. The only real difference is that in 2008, well, there's a lot of differences. And the, only, the big difference is in 2008, we had five first-round running backs. In 2017, we still at least had two. Now, a lot of the running backs in 2017 had a little bit less draft capital, and that goes to the narrative that draft capital is fading a little bit for running back. We had Dalvin Cook... Joe Mixon, Cream Hunt, all going outside the first round in the second, second, and third in order. And Alvin Kamara coming out in the third round as well. And, you know, Samaj, uh, Samaj P. right? <laughs> Marlon Mack, shout out to Kyla Breck. Uh, Marlon Mack coming out in the fourth round. Not a top 12 season, but him and James Conner have both 
been in the top 24. In fact, James Conner, I think, has had a top 12 season as well. Um, and they're coming from the 3rd and 4th round. So the running back class, no matter which model, which production score statistic I look at, looks like an unholy merger of really great classes with slightly less draft capital than older classes they compare to, which is fine, given our recent belief um, that running backs are coming from deeper draft classes. Over the last three or four classes, that's fine, but there's really only two running backs that affect the hit rates greatly. It's Aaron Jones and Jordan Howard. I still think we can believe that first-round draft capital matters with a running back, and more draft capital matters, but a post-draft model does account for draft pick, not draft round, or draft selection, or however you want to say it. So I have adjusted for that at some point, apparently, um, in my post-draft model. So, you know, Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire being drafted so close together but in different rounds isn't such a big deal in my post-draft model. The wide receiver position? That's even, that's, that's even more unholy, <laughs> frankly. Depending on which way you want to look at it. But let's just do my pre- and post-draft models again. The, the 2020 class averaged seven and some decimals in my pre-draft model and averaged eight in my post-draft model. Now, that's not terribly uncommon. The averages tend to range between six and just under nine, really, um, for, through the first three rounds, that is. Every wide receiver draft the first three rounds in my database since 2007. Um, if we do it class by class, normally it's between six and seven, both pre- and post-draft, which is good. We don't want a lot of random variables. 2014 is obviously the one that sticks out. The average are well over eight in pre-draft and very close to nine. It's the highest score in the post-draft model. The last time, last class that had similar pre- and post-draft averages for the first three rounds was 2018. And you know I loved the 2018 class if you listened to any of these episodes ever before. Um, there are differences. Remember, I don't... I, I, we have an advantage at wide receiver that we don't really have at running back. I think points per game might lead to that at running back for right now. Wide receiver has the edge, and that's the age at which you produce. Now, 2020 class on a per player basis, so divided by the number of players drafted round 1 to 3, they averaged a production score of around minus 0.12. And I know these are weird numbers, it's because it's, it's a metric I made, and I'm not a mathematician, you know this. So 0 is good, minus 2 is okay, above 0 is normally very, very good. Um, it basically, it's, a, it, it's rolling age-adjusted production into one number, just to give it a simple look. Now, that's not bad on a per-payer basis, but it's not great. The 2014 class, for example, was 0.3%, um, so actually above 0. And that's the same for 2010, it's the same for uh, 2015, it's the same with... Uh, wide receiver classes where we got more than our average of three um, wide receivers getting top 24 seasons through the first three seasons and um, it's normally pretty indicative of level of class but the 2019 and 2020 season both looked low average compared to past classes although they do look significantly better than most quote-unquote bad draft classes and it's important to remember some of the best wide receivers come from quote-unquote bad draft classes DeAndre Hopkins being an example Keenan Allen another example so while the running back class looks like an unholy merger of great running back classes 
and between 2017 and 2008, the wide receiver class looks tricky. And it feels like everyone thinks, much like I do, frankly, I'm just going to be honest, that this is a, you know, a target-rich barrel. Lots of fish in this barrel, and we've been handed shotgun, and we're going to go fishing. I agree, but comparing the average, which, you know, the fallacy of the average, there's always a mistake there. We have to dig in on an individual basis to really understand who they are within this broader picture, but... It's telling us it could be a tricky class. And so the wide receiver classes I find myself leaning towards more than any other are 2011 and 2013. Again, some of the best wide receivers we've seen came from those classes. You've got Drew Dre Hopkins, Keenan Allen coming from 2013. Robert Woods, if you want to go recent, later breakout. But he was drafted in the second round and had to change teams. Okay. But still some great hits. Even Kenny Stills. You know, Kenny Stills has been a good wide receiver. He's underrated. 2011, on the other hand, you've got Julio Jones and AJ Green, Randall Cobb. It's a great wide receiver class. The average looks terrible because there were great hits and misses. And the first round included not just AJ Green and Julio Jones, but also included Jonathan Baldwin. Consensus, one of the worst picks in the first round ever now Jonathan Baldwin's profile actually looks good if you look at it and that's why I keep getting reminded of the 2011 season you've got AJ Green which looks okay but it gets hidden behind Julio Jones who looks great an efficiency score of over two yards above his team's average yards per pass attempt and Jonathan Baldwin who has this great production score and then gets drafted in the first round and kind of flounders out now Baldwin was drafted 26 overall in that first round AJ Green and Julio Jones both went in the top 10 so there's a difference there. Torrey Smith was also in the 2011 draft class. He has significant career, obviously. Um, Randall Cobb, again, coming from the second round with a great production score. Again, showing us how it's a good hit rate to adjust for age-adjusted production. But you have misses like Jonathan Baldwin. You have to be aware of that. And so I'm getting reminded of both these two wide receiver classes, 2011 and 2013. And some of the best wide receivers are coming from there. But it's tricky. You have to sidestep some landmines in both of those classes. And as far as ceiling goes, I still feel like this class, I think it's consensus. I think this is everyone. More floor than ceiling, but still ceiling, considering what the NFL does right now, or is doing most recently. Again, um, it's pre- and post-draft score best compares to 2018, but they're lower both pre- and post-draft. So it's a good class. But it doesn't like it as much pre-draft. And despite being helped out by draft capital more than the 2018 class was, like six wide receivers drafted in the first round, only two wide receivers drafted in the first round in 2018. So 2018 got less of a bump through draft capital. Despite that, it likes the 2018 class a little better on average through the first three rounds. Again, landmines, pitfalls, and heights to climb when we dig into the specific players. But pretty much, you, you couldn't go wrong. In 2018, it was, it was one, of, one of the reasons my favorite class isn't because of the number of hits or the height of heats. It was honestly how clear and clean it was. It was like, frankly, 2013, which is why I included that in my comparison, because it was really clear you had DeAndre Hopkins and you had Keenan Allen. Like, they stood out. If you just organize it by draft friend, had their production score next to them, they were the clear highlights in those rounds. 
2020 doesn't have that. It has a little bit of that 2011 build in. It might be some Jonathan Taylor's, and that's why I'm comparing across production score per player here. I think there might be some pitfalls that are getting harder to see, and that goes back to the trend through 2019 and 2020, where the production score drops off a cliff for good wide receiver classes. Still good, still above bad classes, still useful, but there's definitely a change coming, and this is, you know, don't tell him. But Travis May has been talking about this for a while, how transactions in college football or player careers have changed recently, relatively recently, and that might create a change in which we see production metrics forming. And I'm seeing some of that. It would be really interesting to see how 2019 and 20 plays out through their future careers. I think, based on the recent trend in production metrics and the way this class compares, that there's going to be some landmines, and it is harder now than ever. Maybe the NFL got better at it. I don't know. But it's harder now than ever to pry them apart. So you've got 2013 with some of the best heights, or let's say we know the most ceilings. We've got twice the number of first-round picks. So let's say there are twice the number of players with potential good good floors. Um, So it's more about the floor and how clear those players were good compared to the others in 2013 but then you've got the 2011 problem of trying to weed out Jonathan Baldwin and frankly those I, I wouldn't have weeded him out it just would have been a miss for me AJ Green looked good Julio Jones obviously looked great and they were drafting the first 10 picks that I would have missed him but Baldwin would have been a guy I wanted to trade back for I wanted to trade in for because his age adjusted production was good and he was getting cheaper uh, because he was drafted late in the first round. Would have been a miss. Guys, I'm adding a bit here because I missed something. Well, there's so much process. One of the ways I... Th- the reason the miss is... The reason Baldwin looks like a miss is I can't find anything that looks bad in his profile. But when you look at his career, it's weird. He got in a fight with a guy in the locker room, broke his hand, barely started his first year. But the few games he did play, he actually did some interesting stuff. Then he's traded, never really starts a game again. It might just be a situation with this player. It's a problem with so few examples of misses or hits, frankly. Um, One thing I have noticed... Um, looking back through draft classes, and that's why I'm starting to break into this efficiency score, the idea of yards per team pass attempt above team average, or just yards per team pass attempt. You know, being good with the ball on a per-team pass attempt basis is obviously good. It's efficiency, essentially, which is tricky, but there's also an element of volume sprinkled in there. Um, The difficulty comes, John Baldwin's below average, but still good compared to many good players. 1.6 yards per per team pass attempt above the team average. It's not scary. Randall Cobb is 1.33. He was really good. Um, Second round draft capital adjusted that for us a bit. But if we're going to look at this as evaluating a player, that's the difficulty. Sometimes, and that's the difficulty with a deep class. That's what I'm trying to say here. Draft round or value in rookie drafts isn't going to sort this out for us. We're not going to get Randall Cobb cheaper, even though he's good but has a little fault here in his efficiency and his draft capital is a little lit. We're not going to get that adjustment because everyone's so high in these players and honestly, their profiles look very decent. For example, like if I was to, uh, and you know, I'm going to highlight when I break down my board here, um, players that I do and don't like. Um, 
But if I was to try using efficiency, here are the players that really stick out as having, you know, that efficiency score compared to bad players. Jalen Rago, who I love. This is not a, like, don't panic. Like, Jalen Rago, as you're about to see, is very high in my ranks. I, I, and this is why that's better than Randall Cobb. <laughs> um, and he's, like, I don't think that counts. Henry Ruggs, on the other hand, was getting 0.72. But I really think he was a hell of a playmaker in college. He went to the best landing spot, as I'm going to talk about a little bit when I break it down. KJ Hamler, on the other hand, 1.86 yards per team pass attempt above the team average. That's a that's a really good score. It makes me want to go all in in Hamler. So I'm getting really excited about guys like that who are going to be drafted later just because it's such a thick and heavy class. Other positions start getting taken before you start worrying about the wide receiver three on a team that just got drafted, right? So, like, I really want Hamler, um, because he doesn't have that little fault, but I really want Rager, even though he does have that little fault, because that last year, I don't believe that last year. I mean, his, the efficiency score here is based only on that last year. If you do it for any other year, Rager's incredible <laughs> in yards per team pass attempt. So maybe we can adjust for Rager, but then you'll look at a guy like T. Higgins. Um, he had 1.28 yards per team pass attempt. Um, and that's not good. That's low. But again, John, it was, John Baldwin's was 1.6. So if we discount that singular example, then 1.28 is bad. But I don't believe that one either. And that's that's why this... That's the other reason this class is difficult. Um, the outliers are not going to be adjusted for by value. And draft capital is not going to push good players down far enough because everyone's aware of them enough because it's a thick and heavy class that we're going to be able to get Randall Cobb at a little bit of a value and Keenan Allen and T.Y. Hilton and Stefan Diggs. Like, no one's going to be surprised by these guys <laughs> um, this year. A few drafts and maybe some drafts, there will be, but I don't think I'm going to see Higgins, Rago falling, you know, deep mid-second round very often. Or you shouldn't do if you do. <laughs> good. That's great. You know, I don't know any other way of saying that. Um, all right, so what I'm going to do now is run you through my ranks through each position. Oh, okay, well, QB and tight end won't take any time at all, but I'm going to run through uh, the top of my ranks at wide receiver I'm running back. And then tomorrow I'll share the whole sheet with my draft board and ranks for everyone if you want to check it out. Um, okay, uh, let's start with quarterback because it's really easy. Right now I have it. Tua and Burrow in a clear tier by themselves. And again, I'm not a quarterback evaluator. I only have a few things I really like and trust in, in my data set. And I've seen it more with Tua. It's just that simple. Joe Burrow has the best season. Tua has multiple amazing seasons, efficiency-wise. So that's the way it is. Um, but, you know, Burrow is probably the one. I don't care. <laughs> um, take one at value, and they both look like really great prospects. Uh, tight end, uh, I also don't care. That's why I'm just doing them quick here. I've got Cole Commit as number one, drafting the second round. It's like a 39% hit rate. Um, then I've got Albert O. Um, those two make kind of a tier at the top for me. I'm not taking anything more than a third round flyer on either of them, I don't think. Um, then it's Adam Trotman, because I don't know much about him, apart from pe people like him. He has stats that are essentially useless uh, to compare to other players based on the conference player conference he played in or below conference that he played in. 
Um, but he's gotten some really good buzz and evaluations, and I always kind of like taking a flyer on that guy if if he falls to me at really decent value. Then it's Chase Claypool at tight end. Uh, he'd be a really interesting prospect if he can pick it up. Who knows if he can. Then Devin Asiasi, you know, uh, the first guy the Patriots drafted, and I think that was in the second round as well. Um, there's some sort of ranks, but I'm not really excited about any of the tight ends in this class. All right, um, wide receiver. I really mess with this a lot. Okay, um, I've been going back and forward a lot, but at the end of the day, I ended up vaguely similar to how I was pre-draft, um, but with different tiers. So I've got one very clear tier one, and that C.D. Lamb, Jalen Rago, and Justin Jefferson at one, two, and three, they're a solid tier for me. I'm happy to get either one of them. Um, Lamb, and again, me being me, all I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get what I think of as narratives and that I don't understand as well and that we can't predict and that is mostly a story like landing spot out of my head. I'm not worried about him going to Dallas nearly as much as I'm worried about what will happen to Gallup. Um, and we don't know how that plays out. Situations change. And Lamb, the faults on his profile with first-round draft capital are... He, he's not built like Calvin Johnson. That That's about, that's all I got. That's all I got. So I like him. Um, second overall, Jalen Ragor. I, I tried to put him at one for a while, but I, when I honestly asked myself if I'd draft him over Lamb, no. Um, but they're very close. They're in a tier for me. I mean, again, the fault on his profile is his third year, but he's got slightly better athletic metrics as well. If you want to go that way, I don't I don't really care about that. But I do think he's dynamic. I do think he's undervalued. So I I really like his value too, but that's neither here nor there for ranks. This is just forced to choose who do I who do I pick and Rago's two for me. And then it's Justin Jefferson, so most likely to break out for any significant season. I really think he's got upside too in that offense. Um, interesting enough, profiles more like Adam Thielen than Stefan Diggs in some interesting ways. Hoping to talk to him some more about some people. Um, that's my same one, two, and three as pre-draft. They're just now one solid tier. Jefferson jumps into that tier, essentially. Uh, at four, I've got Denzel Mims. Actually, more and more excited the more I think how overlooked I think other people are rating him. Um, he didn't play much in his first year. The next three years... And played really well and was incredibly good. He had one year below the average at yards and also dominator rating. But the other two years were significantly above average at age 19 and then 20 and then 21. Uh, I love his profile. I really like his landing spot in terms of opportunity. Again, I don't do the landing spot narrative, which is also why I really like him at four. Because I think people are going to go, well, he's a jet. I don't care. I don't know how that team's going to work out. And I think... Players play, and I think Mims is a player. And that pushes Jerry Judy to five. They're in a tier for me, Mims and Judy. But Judy's a guy I have to believe other people on a little bit more, and maybe I have trust issues. I don't know. But he drops to five for me. I'm I'm not going to complain if I get Jerry Judy, don't get me wrong. But I have more questions about him, and so he's slightly below Mims in the same second tier. My third tier is where it gets a little bit more interesting. I have Brian Edwards... And T. Higgins in a tier together. Um, two two player tiers going on here. I know. 
I don't. Obviously, you don't have to draft Brian Edwards ahead of T. Higgins. I don't think that's where their ADP is going to fall. But you know, one quarter question. I really like Brian Edwards. He's actually slightly more likely to break out based on breakout age and draft capital. So lower draft capital, but at age eighteen breakout age compared with uh, um, mixed with his age twenty breakout age at the thirty percent threshold, if I remember right. Um, it, it beats out T. Higgins with more draft capital, so that's significant to me. I know he's got Henry Ruggs, that's a slightly different situation, but I really like Brian Edwards. I think he can really earn himself a role on that team. Um, again, him and Higgins are in a tier for me. Higgins looks great. Higgins might be the AJ Brown of this year in that he gets lost next to some of these other profiles, um, but... He does. Uh, the things I like, he thought, is a little low end, and I've got to value what I value. All right, uh, then I've got Leveska Chenault, Pittman, and Henry Ruggs in a tier of, I have questions, but they're clearly competent, good players in college. Other people are higher on. they got different levels of draft capital, but good draft capital. I love Henry Ruggs' um, landing spot, honestly, for him. I really like that. Um, so they're in uh, a clear tier at the bottom here for me, uh, rounding out the top ten. The next few, I think, are where I get a little bit more interesting again. That's KJ Hamler. He's in a separate tier. I know he's a wide receiver three now, or default, if Tim Patrick and everyone else falls off the face of the earth. Um, I don't care. I really like KJ Hamler. Um, I'll get him wherever I can, but I'm modifying my expectations, right? He's behind two much more highly drafted prospects from better conferences. Um, but... I, like I, I just like the KJ Hammers of the world. I like that. Um, next here, I've got Lim Bowden, Antonio Golden, Gandhi. Just guys with really interesting profiles um, that I think landed in interesting spots. Um, yeah, I've talked about these guys at length, right? Lim Bowden was great as a wide receiver, but didn't play it enough that we have a full profile. Antonio Golden, Gandhi's from a much lower conference, but is really productive in that conference. Um, and that rounds out with top 13. I guess I'll just run through some names here. They're mostly a flyer tiers, right? Brandon Ayuk, a lot higher hit rate than some of the guys above him, like Bowden and Antonio Golden Gandhi, based on his draft round and breakout age. I just, he's not my kind of player, man. I don't understand how he's going to get a lot of volume or a lot of fantasy relevance. But, you know, first round draft capital probably shouldn't fall this far, but that's me. He's in a tier with Donald Mooney in Chicago, who I really like. Tyler Johnson, I can't, you know, I just, I just can't talk about Tyler Johnson anymore. He should have been drafted higher. I hate his landing spot and everything else, but I got to draft him around there as a flyer, just based on how great he was in college. Um, then Chase Claypool, if he's a wide receiver, um, interesting landing spot, kind of decent draft capital. Uh, that's just, and I like him more than the other two players in that you know interesting landing spot and draft capital pool tier flyer, flyer tier I guess. And um, so it goes Claypool, Van Jefferson, and Devin Duvernay, uh, rounding out the top nineteen. Um, then Cyphus, Quintus Cyphus, and Isaiah Hodgkins round up the top twenty one. I just I think they're a little more productive than most people will notice, um, but you know, um, not going to get any early looks. But I kind of like the profile, and um, that means Donovan Peoples Jones and the athletic profile. If I can get in the fourth round, I don't mind taking that swing, um, and I'm fine taking him over Cyphus and Hodges if you just like the name. I mean, he's an athletic monster. I just lean production, so the other two 
go over him for me. Then KJ Hill, no thoughts. Um, no thoughts at all. He's just there based on, you know, he's drafted interesting landing spots. Some people's going to like him. Uh, he's going to go a lot higher than I would ever take him. I'm probably not taking him. Um, and then I'm doing undrafted free agent research to replace some of those later, tire, later flyers. Um, have some of those in my sheet, but I'm not going to talk about them yet. All right, uh, that brings us to running backs. I really tried to change this up. I had it Jonathan Taylor at one for the longest time, but I've gone back to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I'm sorry. I like the safety. Um, and despite Rashad Penny biting me in the butt, uh, I like that first-round draft capital, even if it is only six picks. It's just something that works. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had an amazing last year. If he if he'd had that job more than one year, I'm pretty sure he would have been talked about uh, as more in that consensus top four before the draft. So I'm just putting him back at one. Jonathan Taylor is in a clear tier one at this running back position because um, he has an amazing, he has the most amazing production profile uh, with, you know, draft capital that's only slightly less, but significant in terms of indicators. Um, so those two, I'm, I'm happy to get either of them, but they are my one and two. Uh, second tier, three players in it, J.K. Dobbins, I went at the top of that tier, getting everyone else out of my head. There's statistically nothing he didn't do. Um, and I honestly think he got the best landing spot. I know people are going to say they don't, and some people have told me on Twitter, they don't throw to the running backs. But, you know, that's what they said about Christian McCaffrey. Cam doesn't throw to the running backs. Players can drive that. And J.K. Dobbins was a pretty good producer. Um, FS Spaceman pointed out some good things about how he didn't separate out from some bad NFL running backs in college, but he w he was still incredibly productive while they were on the roster. Seems to be mostly a system thing. He was still the lead, and eventually he did separate. Um, I, I really like him. Um, getting everything else out of my head. I love the I love the landing spot, which does matter for running back. Um, depends how you read it, but I mean, Baltimore spent a second round pick on him. Mark Ingram was probably the lead. But J.K. Dobbins looks great with second-round draft capital. Like That's number three for me and the top of my second tier, followed by Cam Akers and DeAndre Swift, um, all with the second-round draft capital, so there's the same kind of hit rate. Um, Swift actually beat out everyone in my model because he had just a draft pick, and he was drafted, I think, the second overall is clear. I just think he's also the most likely to find himself in a more muddled committee and he's on the worst team of the three. Actually, the Rams might be the worst team of the three at this point. Uh, but I'm still leaning um, Detroit being worse than the Rams. I guess I'll, I'll give them just a little bit more hope. Um, Cam Akers profiles over both of them, honestly, if you look at his production score and stuff. Um, uh, he went to Detroit. Uh, he went to the Rams, sorry, which, again, puts him below Baltimore for me. I like Baltimore as a team better than the Rams or Detroit. So, yeah, that, that's mostly why I organize the tier that way. Um, obviously, following up at number six is Keyshawn Vaughn, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone at this point. I really think Tampa Bay might be a bad landing spot for a running back, but also pre-draft, I said how I liked him, and I hoped he went to a good landing spot, and he got more draft capital than we were expecting. And, you know, people that understand the RB position in the NFL better than me think it could be. So I want to investigate that more. But Keyshawn Vaughn is definitely the six, followed by Zach Moss. Um, he's in a slightly separate tier than Vaughn, just because it's more muddled, less draft capital, if I remember right. Oh, same draft capital. 
Um, so yeah, Moss and Vaughn could be one clear tier, but Vaughn clearly at the top because I don't know. People seem to think Tampa Bay and Tom Brady and his checkdowns, I guess, is just a, a much more, a much better landing spot. And I'm believing it right now. I mean, Tom Brady and checkdowns does seem to be a thing to his running back anyway. Um, next up, I've got Darrington Evans. I just want to value that skill set. He's a, I really think he might be a good receiver. Um, and everyone else on my list has a potential to have a much larger role, I think, probably. Um, but Evans probably has more of a chance to use that skill set earlier on. Um, then it's Joshua Kelly. Hopefully that's a little hot. Hopefully people don't think about Joshua Kelly that early at nine. But I really like him overall. He actually has a low hit rate based on his draft round. And I kind of don't care. And he's got 20 points per game. He's the other running back in this class with 20 points per game average. Um, and that seems to be significant for running back. Rounding out the top 10 is Antonio Gibson. Didn't play running back enough for me to evaluate him fully. But he got similar draft capital um, as some of the others guys here. And I, he was really good when he played running back. Um 11, 12, 13 is a tier. I've got Eno Benjamin, A.J. Dillon, and Anthony McFarlane. That's really too low on A.J. Dillon. I just am really too low on A.J. Dillon. He shouldn't be behind Eno Benjamin, or Gibson, or Kelly, or probably Darrington Evans. He's probably going to be in that Vaughn and Moss tier. But I'm just, I don't get it. I don't want Packers right now, to be honest. I don't trust that team anymore. Um, I'm not selling Devontae Adams for nothing, but like... I don't get it. Um, I don't get it. Uh, I can't just keep saying that, but I kind of hate the landing spot for AJ Dillon, even though they're probably going to use him and they're going to eat this rank later. I don't want it. Um, Anthony McFarlane, really interesting skill set. He's a little less productive than people will have you believe, probably, but that doesn't matter so much for running backs. He was a little bit lower in hype, lower in draft capital. But going to the Chargers, I think he can earn a role there and make it a bit more of a muddled uh, backfield for um, Justin Jackson and Austin Eckler. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I've got him in here. He'd be a really good flyer to get this, this late in my ranks. After that, I've got Anthony McFarlane. Went to Pittsburgh. Low hit rate based on his draft capital, whatever. I really think he's an interesting skill set. Has a receiving background. He's behind Connor, very clearly. Uh, he's behind Samaje Rain for receptions, but he's a type of profile which, if given opportunity, you wouldn't be surprised to break out or break into fantasy significance. So I really like getting him uh, in and around this tier after the top 10 running backs go off the board. Um, followed up uh, my final running back tier. I really only have 15 on the list right now. It's AJ, DJ Dallas and then LaMichael Pirine. Pirine. Uh, not just for Kyle, just they're running backs. <laughs> um, and they all have a little bit value late just in case they do end up on a roll through injuries or anything else. I don't think DJ Dallas is going anywhere in Seahawks. Um, Pirine. Uh, Ryan, Jesus, uh, P. Ryan, same thing. Um, they're built about right for the roles that they could get on those teams. 
not a lot of interest. I mostly lean wide receiver as flyers, but you know, running backs always have value, and those are the two with draft capital and decent enough profiles that are probably worth it. All right, I hope the very small wait was <laughs> worth it. Um, have any questions about it, hit me up on Twitter, at Pierre Howdy, and I will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Yeah! Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more. Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars. Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.